0: People have the wrong idea about Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, when I ask you to make a mental picture of Jesus Christ, you probably see something that looks something like this. Uh, a picture from one of the masters of the Renaissance period where Jesus has fair European skin. Uh, in one picture he has blue eyes and in other people he has kind of that Scottish red hair and green eyes thing going on. And, and I've never seen a green-eyed Jew or a blue-eyed Jew in my life before. But we tend to come up with Jesus as this guy who, who is just kind of safe and, and just kind of soft and not very tough. And he carries a little lamb around his neck and little children around his knee. And, and some pictures are even kind of effeminate and just kind of make you just kind of really go, mm, man, if you're not a Christian... You know, you just kind of go, the pictures are just kind of put you up. And, and you understand that we have no actual Polaroid or YouTube video of Jesus. I mean, you all understand that. But when we get the image of Jesus, more often than not, this is what we come up with. I want to give you a different image. It's really found in several places in the Bible. In the Old Testament, The Bible uses metaphors to describe God, who's a spirit, in human terms. And the terms that God uses to describe Himself are phrases like God is our shelter, God is our refuge, God is our salvation, God is our fortress, God is our shield, God is our redeemer, God is our rock, God is our salvation, as we sung about this morning. And God is our consuming fire. And I could go on and on. And those are descriptive metaphors of God who is spirit. But then Jesus comes in the New Testament to show us what God's like. Matter of fact, one of my favorite metaphors, jumping back to the Old Testament for just a second, is found in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3. Now, just take good notes today where the scriptures are, and there's two points to the message and And that'll be, that'll really kind of sum it up for today. But write this verse down. The children of Israel had just crossed the Red Sea. Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for far too long. They were making this mad track, mad dash to get out of Egypt as God had granted them freedom to leave. And so they were, and then Pharaoh changed his mind, sent the whole Pharaoh Egyptian army, the very best of what he had, after the Israelites. Now they're up against the Red Sea at flood stage on this side. The Egyptian army is coming on this side. There's mountains kind of to their, to their north, and, and, and Egypt is to their south. I mean, they really had nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, God told Moses, stretch out his hand, part the water. Well, when you don't have anything else better, you know, if that's plan A, B, and C, you just stretch your hand out, and, and he did. And, and the, Egypt, the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then the Egyptian army followed him. When they did, in the middle of the Red Sea, God told Moses, close his hands, and the waters closed in, killing all of Pharaoh's army, which was an amazing victory. And the culture of that day, you celebrated life by writing it down, it was a very oral tradition. They, they communicated things mostly by passing it on through stories or through songs. And so immediately as the water was still rushing over and, and you know, lapping up on the shore and chariot wheels and, and bridles were just going downstream, the children of Israel bust out in this song that Moses had written. And in verse 3 of this song about that victory... Moses says this about God. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. That's a little different image than the pictures I showed you just a few minutes ago, isn't it? Then Jesus comes in the New Testament. He's the full embodiment of God in flesh. God who is spirit is now visibly seen through Jesus Christ in his life because he is God in flesh, incarnate. And so, how did he describe himself? In Matthew chapter, 30, chapter 10 and verse 34, he says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He said, listen, I came to do business for my heavenly Father. And where I can, I will love. But if you oppose, I bring the sword. Isn't that great language? If you you go down to Luke chapter 4, verse 28 through 30, it's it's just kind of one of the cool stories in the New Testament, just kind of tucked away. What was going on in Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, and I love the story, Jesus was teaching in the temple. And as he was teaching in the temple, he really ticked off the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of the temple. I mean, he just... Ticked everybody off, and Jesus is just teaching good stuff. So evidently, over here in this corner, as Jesus is teaching over here, they all huddle together and say, we're tired of this. We've had enough. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take Jesus. We're going to force him out of town. We're going to force him to the edge of the cliffs that were kind of right there at uh, at some parts of, of Golgotha and, and other places, and they would just push him over the ledge. He would you know, just die on the rocky crags below. And it was a great plan. Everybody went, ready, break. And they started getting closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus. You see the plan in verse 29. And then something happens on the butt in verse 30. I don't know what happened. I don't know if when Jesus turned around, if there were like 5,000 angels all of a sudden visible to these poor little men on this side who were gonna push Jesus off the cliff. The Bible says in verse 30, and he walked right through the crowd. Literally, this is what it meant. Here's the crowd right here, and literally the crowd stepped aside and let Jesus through. I, I, I would have loved to have been there to see. Can you imagine just Jesus? He's teaching, he's teaching. The crowd is inching closer and closer, and Jesus is teaching, teaching. And finally, Jesus just turns, and with all the authority of heaven, he gives them a look that says, do you really want to mess with me today? And the crowd parted. See, sometimes men, we have the wrong picture of Jesus. We have a Jesus who is weak, somewhat effeminate sometimes, docile, passive, a pushover. That is not the warrior Jesus of Scripture at all. Jesus is the greatest warrior who ever lived. In fact, he shed his blood on the cross. And died and suffered for three days on the cross. He did spiritual battle that we will never, even in heaven, we will never be able to understand the depths, the gravity, the breadth, the width, the, the, just the whole... Compass of what it all encompasses, that, that battle that he waged with Satan on the cross, where every force of wickedness, where every force that the devil had at his disposal, where every demon who was there, where everyone who wanted Jesus dead was there, hurling accusation, insult, a spear aside, side, crown of thorns, the whole thing. And yet, warrior, Jesus died on that cross for your sins and my sins. And this warrior, Jesus, got up from the grave three days later triumphant over satan his demons his legions his followers death hell and the grave and he rose triumphant as king of kings and lord of lords and that incredible he's the greatest warrior matter of fact starting that whole passion week he came in on a donkey now, back in that day, if you came in on a, on a donkey, it was a sign of peace. The king or his emissary, if you rode in with the king's colors, the king's flag, the king's banners, it was a sign of peace, and the city kind of went, whew, okay, he wants to make a treaty. He, wants, he, he doesn't want to, to kill us. But if the king or his emissaries or that someone who flew under the banner of the king was on a horse, you were cooked. I mean, in that day, the battle was coming If you rode the horse. The last picture of Jesus given in the Bible is found in the book of the Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11. John said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. Uh Uh-oh. This is not good for planet earth right here. Whose rider is called faithful and true, that's Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. With justice, he comes and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God, and out of his mouth comes, sharp, comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and on his robe and on his thigh is this name that is that what we call today Jesus Christ and it's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's why I love to tell you that Jesus Christ is the ultimate warrior. Guys, I want you to listen. This sermon series, Warrior, was devoted to you Why? And I want you to write it down. I want you to take really good notes, guys, in this sermon series. Why? Because I believe God created you with the heart of a warrior. God created you with the heart of a warrior. Now, some of the women in the first service said, but I want to be a warrior too. Okay, you can be princess warriors. And you can lift the principles and and apply it to your life because they're universal and they fit. I just kind of want to direct it to the guys just a little bit. All right? Because my prayer is that God would build you up and show you the man he wants you to become. Because the problem is today, I think if God would do a search for godly men across the church at large, and our church too, I think, I think there would simply not be enough. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet in a time of captivity when Babylon was, or when Israel was in captivity to Babylon, He says this in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. One time I went out and I looked for a man who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, on behalf of the people of Israel, so I would not destroy it. But here's what he says, but I found none. None. You see, there was a woeful lack of godly men in Ezekiel's time and in Ezekiel's day. They were not willing to stand up and, and, and work and, and sacrifice. They, did, they were not men of courage, men who would stand up and fight. He says, I looked around and I found none. The problem, I think, today in the church world is that we have churches have tried to turn men into women. Can you amen that, guys? Don't you feel sometimes like women try to masculinate us? By the way, guys, if you don't amen us here, you're going to just be in trouble. Then I'm going to throw some things out there today that you need to hear your wife amen, all right? Ladies, I don't know if you've noticed, but men and women are different. Viva la difference, amen? But we're different. We look at life differently than you do. I will never, I will never be able to empathize with my wife like Oprah does. I just don't. I go, "Yesterday was sweetest day." I told her she was sweet. That was, that was our sweetest day." But that's all right. I mean, I just don't. you know? And then here comes Dr. Phil. Why can't you be understanding like Dr. Phil? He gets paid to be understanding. If <laughs> you understand that I think sometimes, and by the way, I do think there is this movement on, at least in our country, to feminize masculinity. Man, I just want to kind of uphold the thing that that God created men as men. And there's some things inherent to men that I think we ought to embrace. And I think one of the things that God gave us as men is I think he created men with a warrior's heart. I think he created within us something that longs to stand up and fight for kind of what's right. You know, basically we've tried to say to men that a Christian man is just a nice guy. He plays it safe, he's a good neighbor, doesn't cause any problems, you know. Listen, my goal by the time we're done is that you don't play it safe. Now, you're still a nice guy, but you don't play it safe. That you walk in bold faith after your warrior king. You see, Mother's Day, we, mothers come to the church. Guys, don't you feel this way sometimes when moms come to the church? At, oh, we love our moms. Thank you for birthing our children. And always oh, great. We all stand up and kiss, kiss, hug, hugs. And, you know, we give them flowers. We give them roses. We give them cards. We give them stuff. You know, even here at the church, we give them all that stuff, you know, at church. And then, guys, you come on Father's Day, and what do you get? Beef jerky. I mean, that's it, you know? usually a message that tells you what you're doing wrong, what you need to do better, and, and, and we just kind of beat you down a little bit. Well, that's not the intent. Now, you'll hear a little bit of that because a warrior has to train, have to do what's right, and that kind of thing. But I want to tell you who you are. Guys, you're created to stand up for something that God put in you. You have to stand up. Because I think he gives us each a warrior's heart. So there's two things about this warrior's heart that I just kind of want you to know. Two truths about understanding the heart of a warrior. Number one, every warrior has a cause to fight for. Every warrior has to have a cause to fight for. If you don't have a cause to fight for it as a warrior, you're just dressing up. Every warrior needs a cause to fight for. There's something that takes place in the heart of a man when he recognizes that there's a cause outside of him for which he's willing to give his life, for which he's willing to say, that's it. That's what I'm here for. There is something inside every man, a godly desire to fight for that which is righteous, true, and pure. I love the way Nehemiah did this in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes and he led one of the three mass migrations out of Babylon back to Israel and the walls were torn down. They were vulnerable to enemy's attack. The walls were absolutely in shambles. The gates were burned and the joke was that even a fox could scamper up the gates of, of Jerusalem and they would just crack and crumble and fall over. And so Nehemiah fills this call, this Fight within his heart, this warrior heart of his, to go back and rebuild this city, to make it again a great city for God's people and a great city of God. And so he says in Nehemiah chapter 4, as the enemy is closing around in Nehemiah chapter 4, in verse 14, he says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, that's the wealthy people who don't get their hands dirty, and to the officials, that's the politicians, and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, the enemy. Why? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight. They say, "Oh, come on in, let her have whatever they want." He said, "And fight, fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives." Fight for your homes, fight for your nation, fight for your God. Stand up, he was saying, and be men. Man, doesn't that just kind of munch you want to punch somebody right there? Dude, a cause to fight for. There's something about a man who loves to fight for a cause outside of himself. Some of you will fight for your marriage. Some of you will fight for your children. Some of you, your cause is social injustice. I read a couple of essays a couple of days ago about a, uh, an Agarian, or an, an Agar, agarian that would be the right word an Agarian theologian, or a guy who had an agrarian's land. And if that's his cause, man, go for it. Embrace it, whatever that cause is, do it. You say, "Well, what's your cause?" Dude, let me tell you, my cause is this church. That's my cause. I've been here 19 years. Yesterday was 19 years. I had been here in Michigan. And I'm telling you, 19 years, the burden wasn't nearly this heavy. 19 years, I wasn't nearly as passionate about Kirby Church as I am now because now I've raised, I've raised, I, I have got your kids sugar high off candy in my office, you know? I've held your children when they have born. I've stood by you when your daddies have died. I've married quite a few of you. Well, perform the ceremony. I'm not a polygamist. So I, you know, I've... You, you got the idea. Married a bunch of you in here. I look over here in the teen section. and Boy, there's a lot of hopeful young ladies and young men hoping to get married one day. <laughs> Keep hoping, work on it. And... Uh, but I wake up, man, in the middle of the night. I wake up. My wife, she wakes up. She keeps a little prayer thing, a little prayer journal. She'll, she'll write stuff. She'll wake up. I'll wake up. Last night, man, I, I just couldn't go to sleep. Man, I was praying for, for you. I was praying for our staff. I was praying for Don. I was praying for Joe. I was praying for Michael. Praying for the wives. The wives really need more prayer than the guys do, but I was praying for the wives. I was praying for the kids. I was praying for this service. Man, I'm telling you, because what bothers me is there's so many men in this church who aren't standing in the gap. There are so many in this church, we have the capacity for you to spiritually soar and take off here in this church, and there's still so many men who aren't soaring or flying at all. And man, that hurts. And then there's, there's not only people inside the church, but there's people outside the church. Man, I'm telling you, the Great Commission just bears on my soul. Sharing people about Christ and, and wanting to proclaim the gospel so people will accept Christ as their Savior. We had one uh, gentleman accept Christ as his Savior in the first service, and man, that is a praise item. That's a win. That's what we give God glory for. But I'm telling you, that's, that's the cause for Mike Trimble. Your cause may be different. But God gives us all a cause because there's something that we, that we want to fight for. And you got to fight for it. Maybe I can explain it by the difference in movies. All right? There's chick flicks and then there's real movies. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I'm sorry, ladies, I know you mean well when you say, hey, come on, honey, let's cuddle and watch The Notebook tonight. Well, that's a real happy time, isn't it? (laughs) Or that two and a half weeks ago or a month ago, somewhere, somewhere within the last 30, 45 days, I saw this movie, Message in a Bottle, Chick Flick, I'm serious, I was depressed for three days after that movie. I wanted to take a bottle and hit somebody over the head with it. It's like nobody was happy in that. You know what I'm saying? Ladies, if you hadn't caught on, the only reason we watch those chick flicks with you is so we can kiss and cuddle afterwards. That's it. Amen, men? You want to talk about a real movie, let's talk about a guy flick. Let's talk about gladiators. Amen? Oh, yeah, you hear the guys? Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. Man, I'm telling you, there's not a warrior man in here when Russell Crowe said, Brothers, what we do on earth echoes in eternity who didn't want to go, oh yeah, baby, I'll beat the mess out of you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Or what about Mel Gibson? William Wallace? You know? Braveheart. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through, so I watched it again yesterday morning. Braveheart. Took a little edge off of it because I had to watch it while I was cleaning the kitchen, but you got to do what you got to do. All right. I am confident in who I am. Dude, I'm telling you what. When William Wallace, based on a true story, dude, when he stood and came out over the hill with his face painted blue. Now, that, I am not an amazing blues guy, but man, I'm telling you, I want to paint my, paint my face blue. Matter of fact, for a fall festival, some of you men need to paint your face. Come as, as William Wallace. Do the blue face paint thing, you know? Don't wear the kilt, just paint your face blue. You know? Man, when he said that line, when he said that line, fight and you may die. Run, you little cowards, and you will live at least a while. And dine in your beds many years from now. You will be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance. Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Dude, I was throwing spatulas all over the kitchen. Man. Man. When William Wallace said that great line, that epic line, some men, all men die, but some men never live. He's saying, listen, there's something inside every man who wants his life to matter, who wants his life to count. And so if you're going to be a true warrior after the pattern of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a true warrior, you got to have a cause to fight for. But not only do you got to have a cause to fight for... Second thing I want you to understand, and if you're taking notes, write it down. A warrior without a cause will fight for the wrong, will find the wrong thing to fight against. It'll come up on the screen in just a second, but I want you to write it down. Is that, oh wait a minute, oh you gotta go back. Wait just a second. Hang on a second, Dottie, wait for my cue. Wait a minute, no, 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 no. I already blew it, but that's okay. is like, guys, I'm telling you, now we're going to rewind and just, it won't have the effect, but men, you get the idea, all right? If, if when, when, when William Wallace said that line, oh, this would have been so much fun if I'd have done it in order, you know? But when William Wallace said that line, you know, some all men die, but some men never live, if that doesn't fire you up. Man, we got pink slippers for you in the foyer out there, all right? See Joe at the reception area and he'll, he'll get them for you. It would have been better if I did it the other way around, but you got it. Every warrior has to have a cause to fight for. The second truth I want you to write it down is that if you don't fight, a warrior without a cause to fight for will find the wrong thing to fight against. Some of you men, you fight constantly with your wives what God gave you as a helpmeet and a completer, she has now come become your competer. And you fight against your wife instead of fighting for your wife. Does that make sense? Some of you fellas have a hard time keeping a job because you always are having trouble with people under you or above you in the workplace. And the reason is, is because if you're a warrior without a cause to fight for, you're going to find the wrong thing to fight against. The apostle Paul had this going on in his world. Before he had the right cause to fight for Jesus Christ and the church, he was fighting against, or he he found the wrong thing to fight against. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, Paul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and he put them in prison. He killed Christians. He had had an open legal document just to haul Christians, either to Rome in the Colosseum, throw them in the local jail, which many times it meant torture, punishment, and many times death. Paul was a warrior, but he had the wrong cause that he was fighting for. See, gentlemen... You're a warrior. God didn't call you just to sit back on a church pew. He called you to find a cause and embrace that cause and fight for that cause. And that cause may be different at 18 as it is, and it may be different at 18 than 38. It may be different at 52 than it is at 38. It may be different at 82 than it is at 52. But every warrior has a cause to fight for. And you can't get sidetracked, you can't lose your purpose, you can't lose your focus, you can't lose the opportunity of knowing what you're fighting for, because if you don't, then you'll start fighting against the wrong things. So what's your cause? For some of you, the battle is your marriage. You're in a fight for your life. Your marriage is in serious jeopardy. And you look at her, and she looks at you, and you wait for her to make the the first move. Guys, if you are a man, if you are a warrior of the king, I'm telling you, don't wait for your wife to make the first move. Stand up, man up, and lead. Amen? Stand up, man up, and lead. Didn't God call us to be the spiritual leader of the home? But when you abdicate that responsibility to your wife, gentlemen, somewhere down the road, you are going to have this that happens. Because she will be doing that duty, that responsibility that is rightfully yours, and you're going to get annoyed at it simply because you let her do it, and now she's used to doing it, and you won't man up to do it, and moon, you just got issues and problems. Man up. Some of you need to go home today and say, honey, I owe you an apology. I have let you be the spiritual leader in our home far too long. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. But I want you to know I got a warrior's heart. I'm going to fight for our marriage, and I will be the spiritual leader of our home. Be a warrior. Some of you, the fight, the cause is for your children. Some of you, they may be the teenagers, man, they be really maybe struggling and you may really be wondering what's it all about. Some of you, maybe may be you have older kids and, and, and you're in the battle to love them back, to pray them back, to, to coach them back. You can't be a passive warrior dad in the home. You've got to be the fiercest warrior of all and stand in the gap for your children and for your home. Some of you, your cause is financial freedom because too sadly many warriors buy into the lie that you, can't hardly, that you can't do hardly anything for the kingdom of God because you don't have anything to do anything with. And you live hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck and bad stewardship and bad finances and all that's just kind of rolled in together and you gotta get a grip on this thing. Some of you, your battle may be generational curses. We don't talk about that a lot, especially in a Baptist church. You know what a generational curse is? And I can't explain it all, but I'm just going to give you the highlight version. It, it's kind of like you, you just have this reoccurring sin in a family's heritage. You know, In other words, your daddy drank and your granddaddy drank and your granddaddy, granddaddy drank. And, and, and everybody in the family tree were just drinkers and drinkers, they drank and got, and were drunkards. And now that's passed on to you because that's all you've seen and that's all you know to do. Some of you, your daddy was a womanizer. Your daddy's daddy was a womanizer. Your daddy's daddy's daddy was a womanizer. And it's time for you to break that generational cycle and stand up against it. And instead of saying, well, that's just how the men in my family are, say, well, that is not how a Christian man is. And I'm going to stand for truth. And I'm going to fight for my family. And I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for what God says is truly important in this world. So what's your cause? I don't know what your cause is. But I am sure there's many of you right in the battle today and i want you to know that in your battle jesus doesn't leave you nor forsake you would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment let let's just get really honest right here let's get just brutally honest and this is the men ladies you can participate but man this is like directed right at the men are you in a spiritual battle Are you, I mean, are you, are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your, your kids? Are you fighting for something better? Are you trying to break this generational cycle of sin? Are you, are you trying to stand in the gap and be something better than, than what you've been before? You say, Pastor, I'm just in a battle. I'm discouraged. I'm tired, Burnout on and on it goes I'm just in this in this battle it may be physical it may be financial it may be relational it may be spiritual I don't know what it is but man if if you're here right and you just say pastor I am in a battle man would you pray I just keep a warrior's heart and be faithful to see it through if that's you if that's you and the Holy Spirit says yes 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 that's you you're struggling teenagers mom dad grandma grandpa. that's you Then I want you right now, as high as you can, I want you to raise your hand. As high as you can, raise your hand. All over the building, front to back, mom, dad, grandma, teenagers, raise it. Raise your hand. Now we're going to pray together. You can put your hands down, and what I want you to do, church, let's pray Jesus for every hand that we raised. There's a spirit going on. I don't know what it is. But I pray that you give them strength, endurance, courage, single-sidedness to keep their focus on you and to follow you. God, I pray that you give them wisdom and you give them a passion not to falter. And Lord, under the load and the burden of the battle, when their steps may falter and their feet stumble, God, would you reach down and lift them up before they fall and let your strength be their strength. There are so many things if we were to list them from people who raised their hands today. God, you know the battle. You know what's going on in everyone's heart. Lord, for the men in this church, help us not to be just good men. Help us to be godly men. Men who will stand in the gap. Men who will be warriors for you. Men who will live life passionately. About two more minutes. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I had told you about him being the greatest warrior that ever lived. And how he died on the cross for you. And yours says you were the cause. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says for the joy that was set before him. That's you and me. He endured the cross. We were his cause. And he died so that you might have abundant life and eternal life. if you don't have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ who fought the greatest battle anyone has ever fought for you and rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. You heard everybody erupt into applause because we know it, we felt it, we own that warrior. We we know him in our heart and we want you to know him too. And here's how you do that. You do it with a simple prayer that tells God that you're sorry for your, your sins and all the wrong stuff you've done in life that you want to invite Him into your heart that you want to live for Him from this day forward it starts with a prayer with nothing magical in the prayer but it comes from the sincerity of your heart so would you just pray this prayer if you've never been saved you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior pray this prayer to Jesus Jesus Thank you for being my warrior. Dying on the cross for my sins. Defeating Satan. So that I could have eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. And from this day forward, it's my intent, it's my desire to walk with you. In Jesus' name, before we all say amen. I wonder, did anyone pray that prayer just now? Would you just raise your hand if you did? Thank you so much. Thank you. I would love to talk with you. I'll hang around down front. Pastor Joe will be in the back at the information area in the lobby. Pastor Michael usually hangs out by the teen area. We'd love just to chat with you. So Father, for those that raised their hands this morning, gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ, we celebrate that, we rejoice in that. And Father, we ask your blessing on them as they take steps of faith.